questions. Do you need answers? The Pastor Study will help you find those answers through God's Word. Our teacher today is Pastor Tom Brock. The Pastor Study is sponsored by pastorstudy.org. So grab your Bible and join us for The Pastor Study. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. Today we're going to start a series on the parables, and I don't know, maybe for the 10 next shows that you see, we're going to pick a different parable and learn all that we can from it. The word parable is a Greek word, parabole. Para in Greek means alongside, bole means to lay. So a parabole, a parable, is a laying along the side. In other words, Jesus would tell a story to a big crowd, but then later, privately to the disciples, he would lay along the side of that story its true meaning. Why did Jesus talk in parables? <clears throat> Most people think he did it to make things clear. But you know, we're going to discover just the opposite today. Jesus told parables to hide things so that people who were unbelievers couldn't understand what he was talking about, so they couldn't repent. Now that is a strange teaching. Uh, what does that mean? Well, we're, we're going to see today. But, you know, I read a Bible commentator who said this, we should not try to soften the hard verses of the Bible, but just let them speak to us. So let's do that. Some of this will get kind of difficult. Would you take out your Bible, turn in the New Testament to Mark chapter 4, we're going to study the first parable that appears in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. And Jesus is going to tell the story that here's a man with a bunch of seeds throwing them out on the land, and Jesus is the one who's really throwing the stories out. He's preaching the Gospel, and the seed lands on four different kinds of soil, and we're going to learn the parable of the sower. Let's pray first. Father, we're going to hear now Jesus tell the story that some people hear but don't hear. Some people hear and believe for five minutes. Some people hear and then fall away because of riches and worry. And then some people hold it fast all their lives. We would pray, Lord, that you show each person listening to our program which of the four soils they are. And God, speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 4, the first parabole laying alongside in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4, look at verse 1. Jesus began to, again by the sea to teach, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and he was saying to them this in his teaching. Here's the first lesson I want you to get from this text. Tell stories. Jesus told stories. He told lots of stories. And why? Because stories is what people remember. I mean, I, the two best preachers I've ever heard were Pastor Elmer Murdoch at the Omaha Gospel Tabernacle 
and Dr. Bob Smith at Bethel College. Both those men could preach. And, you know, 35, I haven't heard these men preach for 35 years. One of them is dead. But 35 years ago they preached. I can still tell you the stories. In fact, if you've listened to this show a lot, you've heard all their stories because I don't remember their abstract teaching, but I remember their stories. So mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, tell your kids stories. It's what they'll remember. Uh, look what I found at a garage sale. Ingemeyer's Bible Storybook. And let me tell you why I paid a quarter to get this back. When I was a little boy, mom would sit the kids around the den and she'd take out Ingemeyer's Bible Storybook. And I can still remember the pictures and the stories of this book from when I was nine years old. So mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, Sunday school teachers, adult Bible study teachers, make sure you put lots of stories in your teaching. Let's look at <clears throat> verse 3. Jesus said, listen to this, Behold the sower, the man who's throwing seeds, went out to sow. Jesus is the sower. He's throwing the, the word of God out. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Third seed, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell on the good soil, and as they grew up and they increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying to the crowd, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, there's something deeper going on in this story than farming going on here. And now for perhaps the most difficult verse in the book of Mark. Look at verse 10. As soon as Jesus was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parable. And he was saying to them, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside, they get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may not see and perceive, and while hearing they may not hear and understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven." Here's the difficult teaching. Parables were told to hide things. Why did Jesus tell parables? So the outsiders could not understand his teaching, so they could not come to repentance. That's a hard teaching, because elsewhere in the Bible, it says that, uh, it says 2 Peter 3, the Lord is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So why here is God hiding things so unbelievers can't repent? Well, this is a hard one, but let me give you my best shot at it. I think if a sinner continually hardens his heart against God, sometimes there comes a point where God says, okay, you don't want me, you don't get me, and the person's heart is hardened. He, he hardens their heart. I think we're all born this way. We're all born with a sinful, hard heart because of Adam and Eve, the sin we inherited from Adam and Eve. And it's only when the Holy Spirit gets into our heart, opens our eyes and gives us faith that we repent. I, I get this from Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. Listen to this. Paul writes young Timothy, Correct your opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant 
that we repent, they repent, leading to a knowledge of the truth so that they may escape from the snare of the devil. Notice that we're all sinners, but God is the one that grants some people repentance so that they turn to Christ and escape from the snare of the devil. And you might say, well, that 2 Timothy 2.25, if God is the one who's granting the repentance, if God's the one who's doing it, it sounds like predestination. You're right. It's predestination. You and I are obligated to believe in predestination because the Bible teaches it. Read Romans chapter 9. It's all over that chapter. And I don't say that, you know, you can say, well, why does God grant one sinner repentance and he doesn't grant an, another sinner repentance? My response is, I don't know. Some of this we just got to leave to the mystery of God. That's the hard teaching of, of this text. Let's get now back to the story, though. Verse 13. And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand the parables? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. The seed in this parable is the word of God. So here's the next lesson. Our duty as Christians is to sow the word. Christian, the reason you are on earth right now is to sow the word, the word of God. Let me ask you how you're doing. By the way you spend your money, are you sowing the word? By the way you talk, are you sowing the word? By the things you do during your free time, during your... Our job is to sow the word. I know a person that goes door to door, knocking on doors, talking to people about Jesus. I know another person that actually goes to the Mall of America, interrupts people while they're shopping to talk to them about Jesus. Now you might not be that bold, and I don't think God calls everybody to do that, but every Christian is called to sow the word in somehow, in some way. Are you doing that? The people God has put in your life, are you somehow witnessing Christ to them? That's why you're on the planet. Look at verse 15. The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are on the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word that has been sown in them. Here's the next lesson. Satan's job is to rob you of the word of God. So I, I attended a church service recently, and it was a very good sermon. But through the whole sermon, I noticed this young woman over to the right of me. She was drawing pictures through the whole sermon, not listening to a thing. Then I went to another service, and here's a, a young man uh, reading a comic book <laughs> through the whole sermon. And that's Satan's job. Lots of people go to church, and while the preacher's preaching, the devil makes them think of the football game so they can't hear the word of God and be saved. All right. We're going to look at four kinds of people now. And the point of this parable, you're supposed to ask yourself, which of these four kinds of people am I? Look, look at person number one. Let's look at verse 15 again. Remember the, the one, the seed that was on the, on the road and the bird gobbles it? Uh, these are the ones who, when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word that has been sown in him. Person number one hears the word of God but does not believe. It's possible to hear scripture, hear sermons, and not believe any of it. Person number one hears but does not believe. I have a friend whose mother goes to an Episcopal church. Her mother doesn't believe any of it. 
And one day my friend said, Mom, you know, you go to church, why don't you believe any of it? And she said, well, you know, darling, I know the Christian story is a myth, but it's a beautiful myth. <laughs> it is possible to go to church and hear it and never believe it. It's possible to preach it and not believe it. I mean, I went to a Methodist church at Christmas time, and the, the preacher gets up and says, today I'm going to preach on the myth of the virgin birth of Christ. And I, I, I don't know if I've ever done this, I groaned out loud in church. You know, it's possible to hear a lot of sermons, it's possible to preach a lot of sermons and not believe it. Why? Because the devil's at work gobbling it out of your heart. That's person number one. Um, let me give you an example of, of person number one. I'm on a plane. I'm sitting next to this German lady. She's about 70 years old. She grew up in Germany. Now she lives in America. When she came to America years ago, her little girl wanted to start going to Sunday school. And, and she says to me, you know, we Germans, we, we go to church till we're confirmed at about age 12, but then we stop going to church until we're old people. But my little girl wanted to go to church, so okay. So I started going to church with her, and oh, I'm so glad to be part of a community, she said. And I said, well, great. And, and, and I, then I, I wanted to share the gospel, because it, it sounded like all she liked was the community aspect of church. <laughs> so I said, you know what? I said, I'm a, I'm a Lutheran pastor. I said, and you know what's real important, though, is not just to go to church, but to know that you're a sinner and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead, and he paid our sin debt so we don't have to go to hell. So because of his death on the cross, we can be forgiven and go to heaven, etc. And she stops me and she says, I have a different interpretation. My loving God wouldn't send anybody to hell. I said to her, you know, but madam, Jesus is the one who told us about hell. He's the one, I think he talks more about hell than he does about heaven. Well, no, no, I believe the Apostle Paul spread all kinds of propaganda. I said, this isn't Paul, this is Jesus that talks about hell. Yeah, but who, well, who wrote down the teachings of Jesus? I said the Apostles. Well, there you go. I mean, and did you see what happened? She had a sieve, and, she, and any scripture that fell into her sieve, if it didn't agree with her opinions, out it went. <laughs> and she's an example of where she hears the word of God, but if she doesn't like it, she just lets it get gobbled up. That's person number one. Do you hear it all, but you just don't believe it? Let's look at person number two. Look at verse 16. In a similar way, these, person number two, are the ones whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Person number two joyfully receives the word, but then falls away under persecution. This is a person who believes in Christ, accepts it, and then when it gets tough says, Goodbye, Lord, I'm not staying for this. <laughs> There's a story that during World War II in Europe, some Nazi soldiers entered a church service on Sunday morning in Europe with machine guns. They went to the front of the church and turned the machine guns on the crowd and said, we are here today to kill anyone who is a follower of Christ. If you don't really believe in Christ, you may leave, but the rest of you will be shot. Story goes, a lot of people got up and left. 
When everyone had left, there were just a few left in the pews, the soldiers went over, barred the doors to the church, came back to the front, laid their machine guns on the table and said, tell us about Jesus. We want to hear about him from some real Christians. Person number two hears the word of God, believes it, but then when it gets tough, they take off. I mean, I had a guy in, uh, years ago in my office, his dad sent him in, he, he got in big trouble with the law and now he's scared. And, and he's scared of, of, of what's going to happen for the rest of his life. Will he be in jail? I shared the gospel with him. Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead. Receive him and you can be forgiven. And he quickly did. But then I said, now, I'm glad you accepted Christ, but now you've got to make some changes. You've got to start coming to church, pray, start reading your Bible. You've got to get some roots. And Dad told me that finally the law was off his back. He went right back. To his old lifestyle. That's person number two. You only are a Christian when it's convenient. You know, I, I had straight line winds come through my neighborhood and I'm looking out my living room door and here are the trees in my backyard just bowing all the way to the ground and then I ran in the basement because I knew this was bad. Afterwards, I came out and, and we walked through the neighborhood, the neighbors and I. It looked like a bomb had been dropped. All these trees flat on the ground. There were a few trees, though, that still stood because they had deep roots. And if you read uh, in this uh, verses eight, uh, seven, 16 and 17, the problem with person number two is they don't have roots. And I want to encourage you, get roots. Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. Go to church every Sunday. Take Holy Communion often. Find something to do to serve the Lord because roots are what these people did not have, so they lost it. Are you person number one that you hear it, but you don't believe it? Are you person number two, you hear it and you believe it, but when it gets tough, you, you give it up? Then there's person number three. Look at verse 18. And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but here, here's what the thorns are. The worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Person number three is unfruitful because of three things, cares, riches, and desires. So if you're person number three, you're not really living for the Lord because you're so into worry, riches, or other desires. Let, let's take a quick look at each of those. First, worry. There's an old saying, worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. <laughs> and do you know a Christian like this? They're so worried about everything that they don't have time for God. And, there's, and, and that's true not only for their own souls, they're so into every worry on earth that they, they don't, but the, the weird thing is, they don't care about where they're going to spend eternity. Here's, here's what kind of drives me crazy. Here are parents that will run over here to get Jimmy to baseball practice, run over here to get Susie to ballet lessons. The parents are doing everything, but on Sunday morning, 
they don't bother taking their kids to church. And they're worried and they're running around for their children, but they forget the biggest thing that they should be concerned about, their children's eternal souls. There are people that are that way from, for themselves. They're worried about their mortgages, they're worried about their marriage, they're worried about everything. They don't seem to care about their eternal soul. So that's one thing that'll, that'll kill your Christian faith is worry. Second thing, second thorn in this story, Jesus says, are riches. And notice it says in verse 19, Jesus calls it the deceitfulness of riches. Why does money deceive us? Because money tempts me to trust it rather than God. There's a story that back in the 1850s, all the men are going out to California for the gold rush. There was a Christian preacher who was concerned about these men pursuing money, and he wanted to go out with this bunch of men and preach the gospel to them as they were going out to California. And he did, but when he got to California, he thought, well, I wonder what this is like. So he got a pan of gold, he started panning for gold, and after a while, he got so into it, he forgot to preach. And he got the gold fever, and he got to the point where he had this big bag of gold dust. And the story goes that on a windy day, he went to the top of a mountain, untied the bag, and threw the gold dust out into the wind. Because <laughs> he knew what it was doing to him. Is that you? Are you so into money, 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 that God just has about a, a 14th place in your life? This is big in America. The dollar is America's God. Is that your problem? Is the desire for money killing your Christian faith? C.S. Lewis said this, The only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Our charities should pinch us and hamper us. If we live at the same level of affluence as other people who have our level of income, we are giving away too little. Even the preachers on TV are so into money. I mean, some of these health and wealth preachers are now being investigated by the Senate because of the way they live, and it's choking out their Christianity. So one thorn is worry. The second thorn was money. The third thorn, Jesus says, is, quote, the desire for other things. We had some missionaries in Germany. You know, people don't go to church much in Europe anymore. And in Germany, many years ago, everybody went to church. And so I said to our missionary, Doug, I said, Doug, why don't people go to church in Germany anymore? And he said, for Germans, the weekends are everything. They call them their holiday. And so why don't you go to church on Sunday? Well, that would interrupt my holiday. <laughs> the desire for other things is killing Christianity in Germany. I mean, I, I, in here in Minneapolis, I, I heard of a man who, Christian man who led a Bible study and then suddenly up and ran away with another woman, left his wife. And this happens. Uh, worry, money, and the desire for other things can kill your faith. Let's look at verse 20. This is the fourth kind of person. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Person number four hears the word of God, accepts the word of God, and bears fruit. Fourth, fourth person doesn't just hear it. He lives it and he does it. So let me ask you the big question from this story, this parable. Are you bearing fruit? 
by the way you live your life, by the way you speak, by the way you spend your money, by the way you spend your free time, is your life bearing fruit for Christ or not? And, and let me add this, if all you care about is that you go to heaven, you don't care if the world goes to hell, but as long as you prayed the prayer and you asked Jesus in your heart, as long as I'm saved, you know what, if that's all you care about, you're not saved. Because one sign that you've been saved is you care about other people's salvation. So again, the question is, are you bearing fruit? Well, let's, let's end the sermon by asking this question. Of these four people, the one who hears but doesn't believe, or the one who believes for five minutes, or the one who believes but then gets choked out by money, worry, uh, other things, or the person that holds fast the Word of God, which of these four are saved, are going to heaven? Well, number one, we know isn't, because he doesn't believe. Jesus actually says, does not believe so that he cannot be saved. The second person who believes for a while and falls away, are they saved? I think the answer is no. Now, you do have St. Peter who fell away for the night of the crucifixion of Christ. But then Jesus, uh, Peter came back, so it is possible to fall away but come back, hallelujah. But if, you're, if your whole lifestyle is one of, of, of falling away, you've got to wonder where you're at. Is person number three saved? Well, I think we all struggle with worry. I think we all struggle with money, and we all struggle with the desire for other things. But if that's your whole lifestyle, if it's not a struggle, you just live in it, well, then you've got to ask where you're at spiritually. Is person number four saved? We know he is because he's bearing fruit for the kingdom. So uh, what I want to ask you to do is four kinds of people in this world. Which of those four people are you? Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. We also like to ask Pastor Brock uh, to comment on things that some of our viewers have seen on a previous show. And we're going to start off today with a comment from a viewer who says they really enjoyed your program until they heard you say how against homosexuality you are and how judgmental you seemed. This person says they're no longer going to watch you but will pray for you to stop judging people and says that you should leave that up to God and just concentrate on loving people but ends by saying they'll be praying for you. What would be your comment well, to this? Well, I wrote viewer? her back and I said, because we love people, we tell them to turn from sin. And I also pointed out as genteely as I could, you're judging me. <laughs> so, you know, when people yell at me for being so judgmental, well, they're normally judging me. And here's the thing. When Jesus said judge not, he didn't mean we can't make moral judgments. He said just don't think you're superior to others. That's what he meant. But Jackie, because we love people, we tell them uh, to turn from sin. That's not being evil or judgmental. We, not to do it is unloving. So, again, read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, where it says fornicators, that's people who have sex outside of marriage, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, etc. These people won't go to heaven. Are we not to tell people that? Are we not to urge people to come to Christ? It's love that moves us to tell people to come to Christ. And it's, it's not superiority, you know. Well, thanks for being with us. We're running out of time really quick today. We pray that you'll be with us again next week. And until we're together again, we want to pray that God would grant you his richest blessings. At the end of the program, we're going to run our website. Check us out for additional opportunities.
Thank you for tuning into the Pastor Study. We ask, would you pray for our ministry as we seek to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? And would you pray about supporting this ministry? Our address is The Pastor Study, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430. Our website is pastorstudy.org. And our phone number is 763-260-4484. May God richly bless you and join us next week at the same time as we study God's Word. Until then, may the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you.